Um, and one of the things I mentioned before, uh, they have uh, send relief care centers that are springing up all across the country. We have one uh, in uh, Chicago, and we're going to be connecting with them as they continue to um, begin uh, their work uh, in a new care center. Um, it's not, not too far away from here. So 18 weeks ago, in September, when it was still warm, we started this series. Can you believe it's been that long already? Um, we started in the book of Philippians, chapter 1. Uh, today, we're starting chapter 4. We're on, the, we're on the, 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 the slope down now. We're getting close to the end. Uh, chapter 4 doesn't take nearly as long as chapter 1, 2, and 3 did. Um, so we're going to get uh, finished here pretty quickly. But before we get to chapter 4 today, we're going to pick up uh, at the very beginning of that chapter with a word, therefore. Uh, therefore is one of those words that you should take note of when you read Scripture. I hope uh, you know, uh, that you've learned a lot of things in the last years and, and in your lifetime about reading Scripture. Therefore is one of those words that should stick out to you. Whenever you see the word therefore in Scripture, you should, you should either know what's already come before it, or you should stop and go back and read so that you know what the therefore refers to. So we're going to do something, um, I don't know if it's unusual today, probably not, um, but, but the word therefore means for this reason or because of this or in light of this, and if we start off chapter 4 with therefore, we need to know what came before that. So I'm going to read the whole book of Philippians, just, well, just 1, 2, and 3. I'm not going to read all of 4. Um, you can grab a Bible from the seat in front of you if you want to follow along. The words are not going to be on the screen, but I'm going to read chapters 1, 2, and 3 so that we know what the therefore is. Now, if you've been here for most or all of the last 18 weeks, um, these should all sound fairly familiar to you, but if not, um, just let this kind of wash over you and, and listen to it. Read it uh, along in your own Bible uh, if you would like to. Uh, or, or on your phone or some other kind of device. So starting in chapter 1, it says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Remember, that's a, a city where they started a church. And with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul continues saying, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always and in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of the grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and con uh, confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, my brothers, that, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And so it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am here, uh, that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? 
Only in every way, whether in the pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through the prayers, uh, your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me is to, is to live, uh, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and that is from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Chapter 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, did, now, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed now, so now not only uh, as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish, in the midst of a twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy. You know his proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, 
your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for all of you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near death. But God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Chapter 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Write the same things to you. Uh, to write the same things to you is no trouble for me, and it is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he also has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their glory is their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Chapter 4, where we start today. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Eodia and Syncety, Syncety, I'll get that in a minute, to agree in the Lord. <laughs> Yet I ask also true companions, help these women also who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it. Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, Lord, 
it's not often that we hear such a lengthy segment of Scripture read aloud in church, and maybe we should do that more often. There's something special about hearing the, uh, the Word of God read in church. Lord, we know that your book is alive, and we know that it goes out and does not return void. And so, Lord, may the word that was read today not go out and be void in our hearts. But remind us of what we've learned, challenge us to what's ahead, and set the stage for what we talk about today. In Jesus' name, amen. That was a long reading. Um, I practiced that name this morning, and I still messed it up. Syntyche, there we go. It's an unusual name. I've never met anybody named Syntyche. Probably never will, <laughs> because no one can pronounce it. Um, so he starts with the word therefore. That word again means in light of, because of. And so in what he's saying is because of everything he's written, because of everything we just heard, in light of all of those things, stand firm. But he doesn't say it in such a way that he is um, leaving it undefined. It's not stand firm in your own wisdom. It's not stand firm in the, the wisdom of the world. It's not pick yourself up by your bootstraps. We don't live in the, in the South or in Montana, but that was a real common thing. It was, it was, they were very, very fiercely independent in Montana. Take care of yourself. You're independent. You can do it. Stand firm in your own power and your own strength. That's not the kind of standing firm Paul is talking about here. Because he says, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm in this way in the Lord. He uses the word thus there, stand firm thus in the Lord. Thus is another word for therefore. <laughs> so he says, therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm therefore in the Lord. What kind of standing firm do you do? You stand firm in the Lord. Paul says, on the grounds of what I've written to you in the last three chapters, stand firm in the Lord. A little side note here. I find it very interesting um, there's so many things we could talk about, right? But I, it occurred to me when I was reading this that there is a depth of relationship here, a depth of love that's, that's pulled out of the Scripture here by Paul, and, and, and I just want us to see it. He talks about brothers. In other words, he's addressing these, these people in the church as family. Therefore, family, whom I love, whom I long for. He wasn't with them, and he longed to be with them. He longed for them. You're my joy. You're my crown. You're my beloved. Paul had a real heart for these people, didn't he? He had, if you remember back to, to the very first Sunday we talked about this, um, he went with a couple of men, Timothy and 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 others, and went to Philippi and started a church. And if you remember, he started it with Lydia, who was at the, uh, at, at the well. She was a seller of purple. She was uh, a Christ seeker, became a Christ follower. Her family came to faith in Christ. Uh, they met um, a jailer. He and his family became some of those first families that, that started the church in Philippi. And he's writing now, years later, to the church in Philippi, and they are very special to him because he knows them. He met them. He walked with them. He saw them come to faith in Christ. Um, this 
is particularly addressed to the church in Philippi, but the principle I want you to capture here is a principle that should be present in every church. You are family. We are family. We should love one another. We should long for one another. Do you, do you look at the person to your right or to your left, in front of you, behind you, and think, you're my joy? Say that to somebody next to you. You're my joy. Just say that. You're my crown. You didn't say it, Renee. I'm watching you. <laughs> and we're getting a phone call. Somebody's calling in right in the middle of the service. They want to. You're my crown. You're my joy. Say, say, say this to somebody next to you. You're my beloved. You're my beloved. Paul had a, a depth of love for the individuals in the church, but also for the church itself, which we know is the bride of Christ, that, that transcends, I think, the kind of love a lot of us really have for the church and for one another. And so I just want you, before we move on to the next point, just to think about that. How do I feel about the brothers and sisters that I know in Christ? Do I love them? Do I long to be with them? Would I consider them a joy, a jewel, a crown, uh, a beloved? That's the kind of attitude. Uh, so, so just whenever you're reading Scripture, don't just let stuff float by. It would have been real easy to float by that passage and think, okay, Paul's real point here is about standing firm in the Lord, which is important. And don't do that in, in, in forgetting all the other words where he talked about them being beloved, being joy, being a crown. When you read Scripture, really unpack it. Take a look at it. When you go through verse by verse, um, you look at the words. What do they mean? What is the person saying? What did they want us to capture here? All right. This next one, um, this next one's interesting. All right, we're going to go to um, verse 2 and 3. Uh, Paul says, I entreat Iodia and entreat Syncate to agree in the Lord. How would you like to be named in the Bible in this light? <laughs> Paul called out two ladies in the church who were, who were having problems with each other. And their names have been carried forward thousands of years forward to us where we can still say their names. And how, how embarrassing <laughs> I'm sure when, they was, when it was read in the church, they were probably like, but they probably had no idea. Thousands of years later, people in Christian churches all across the world are going to be reading the Bible and talking about them. So he says, I, I entreat these two ladies, agree in the Lord. Yes, I also ask you, true companion, he's, uh, he's calling on Clement, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers uh, whose names are in the book of life. He's like, he's asking, he's like, Clement, my fellow workers, others in the church, help these women to agree in the Lord. What's the principle here? There are issues between people. Anybody here have an issue between another person? Never. Anybody ever had an issue between another person in the church? Just be honest, obviously, right? Agree in the Lord. Find unity in the Lord. Man, and what an embarrassment to have, have their names listed here. Two disagreeable women who Paul calls out saying, agree in the Lord. Why? Why would he do that? Unity is important. I'm sure there were probably other disagreeable, disagreeable people in the church. You may know somebody disagreeable in this church. I don't know. 
But Paul calls them out, saying to them and to the church at large and to us today that unity in the body of Christ is one of the most important things that we can have. He's not shy about calling it out, is he? He's not shy about addressing these two who are having a problem in front of the whole church and, in fact, in front of all of Christianity for time uh, and, and, and past, present, future. He confronts disunity because disunity destroys. It was that important to Paul for him to call it out because disunity destroys churches. It destroys relationships. It destroys people. So, what do you do with that? If you are in a disagreeable relationship with somebody, you have an issue with somebody, somebody in this church, somebody in the family of God, somebody who is a a jewel in the crown, somebody who is a joy, somebody who is beloved, what does Scripture say to do? Get over it. Get over it. Be agreeable. I mean, he, he doesn't say, uh, sit down, work it out. Uh, he says, I entreat you, I beg you, agree in the Lord. You need to have a summit. Have a peace meeting. Sit down, call that person, say, hey, I know we've had a disagreeable relationship. We have a point of contention, something that's causing disunity between our spirits. That can spread in the church. So call that person, say, hey, we need to have a meeting. We need to sit down and talk. We need to become agreeable in the Lord and allow the Lord to enter that and help you to work through it. All right, next thing he says is rejoice. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. This is not a new idea. If you listened through chapter 1, 2, and 3, you heard Paul talk about rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. It's a theme throughout all of the Bible. Psalm 92, 1 through 4 said, It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning, your faithfulness by night, to the music of the lute and the harp, the melody of the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. The music of the guitar, of the bass, of the drums, the the singing, uh, other instrumentation, whatever it is, it is good. It is good. The Lord has made me glad. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. Paul says, don't forget. Again, I've said it. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, he starts out, rejoice in the Lord. In fact, we talked about this at our, uh, at our Wednesday Bible study. Um, repeating thoughts, words, phrases in Scripture is their form of punctuation. They didn't use punctuation in most early languages. And so they didn't say, rejoice in the Lord always, exclamation point. They didn't have exclamation points. So to make the exclamation point, they would say it repeatedly. So you'll see this a lot in the Old Testament. You'll see um, they'll say things once, two, three times. It's like, and Paul adopts that a little bit here when he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Whenever anybody uh, in scripture, you're reading something and it's repeated one, two, three, or more times, um, take note. That's an exclamation point. That's a big arrow and neon sign flashing to you. Hey, note this. This is important. Paul says, rejoice. 
in the Lord. And when does he say to do it? Always, always. And then there's, you know, the, the, the last chapter of most of the, um, the epistles, the, the small books that are written after uh, the Gospels and Acts and Romans, most of those, the last chapters are tough because it's a lot of stuff strung together. So that's what this week and, and the, the coming weeks are going to be a little bit like. And sometimes it seems like maybe they were just thrown in haphazardly, like this next one. Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Why did he put that there? Reasonableness means sound judgment. Sound judgment or fairness. Paul is instructing the church. And he's talking about very important things. And he saved some of them to the end. And he lists them off. And we're going to list them off when we get to the end, but reasonableness is one of them. And, and that kind of fits in with the whole idea of unity, doesn't it? When you're a reasonable person, when you're a fair person, when you're a person of sound judgment, sound judgment in, in God's eyes, things go well, don't they? Have you ever met somebody who was unreasonable? Are you an unreasonable person? <laughs> From time to time, probably, right? Um, I think we all are at one point in or another, uh, at another. But Paul says here, not only be reasonable, be fair, be of sound Christian, biblical, godly judgment, but make it known to everyone. You should be known in the church, in the family, in the body as a reasonable person. What do reasonable people do? Uh, and, we, and I didn't make a list here, but you can just think of a couple things. What does a reasonable person do? I can think of one. They listen. They don't just always talk. They don't always have the answer. Even if they do have the answer, they listen to other people first. <laughs> right? You can learn a lot from other people. I, I've learned that. I'm 53. I've learned that in my 53 years that if I shut up, I can learn a lot from other people. I don't know if you know this, but I think I know a lot of stuff. You probably think you know a lot of stuff too. Um, but you don't want to come across like a know-it-all. I don't want to come across like a know-it-all. One of the ways to not come across like a know-it-all is to shut up and listen. That's part of being reasonable. Part of being reasonable is listening to other people, engaging in conversation. Maybe take that reasonableness, apply it to the, to the, the previous verses where he talked about um, being unified and being in agreement and take all that together, what is he saying? Listen to each other. Be brothers and sisters with each other in the Lord. Walk in step with one another. I love uh, scripture in, in, uh, in, in Romans. Uh, or Maybe it's Galatians. I think it's Galatians. But he says, stay in step with the Spirit. That's what we're talking about here. Being in step with one another, being reasonable, being of sound, biblical, Christ-following judgment. And then he turns a corner again. It's like, I don't know about you, but it's like, kind of like breakneck. You ever been in a, in a car and they turn corners really fast? Um, we were, we were in, in London one time, uh, just visiting London. 
Um, we had a, a little conference, but we went a couple days early, and we took a taxi. Ever taken anybody ever taken one of those black taxis in London? I don't know. You ever taken a taxi anywhere? Taxi drivers. Whew. They're no better in London. They drive on the wrong side of the road. Well, it's the right side over there. It's actually the left side, but that's neither here nor there. And they go fast, and the roundabouts is, are in reverse too. Everything's in reverse. And talk about. We were like, we, we called, we wanted to make sure to make it to the airport in time, so we called the taxi early. If we had known, we could have waited, you know, another 30, 40 minutes before we called because he made it there like that. And it was, it was breakneck. And in a little bit, I feel like that's what this chapter is like a little bit because you're, you're headed in one direction and all of a sudden he's like, whip over here and we're headed this direction. And, and then he whips us over here and talks about anxiety, we were talking about reasonableness. We were talking about agreeing with one another, walking with one another. And then he turns to anxiety. Anybody have anxiety? Yeah, I, a lot of hands for that one. I'm going to raise my hand too. Um, I haven't always been that way. I tell you what, the last two years really uh, helped me understand what anxiety really was. I thought I was anxious before. <laughs> You know, we've got COVID, we've got all the things that came with that. We had my parents both passing. We have uh, struggles with Lydia's parents and father in, uh, in, in assisted living. And it's like, boy, there's, there's been a lot of stuff we could be anxious about. And there was a lot of stuff we actually were anxious about. Paul addresses that. Um, and he does it very pointedly. And I appreciate it. It's difficult, but listen to what he says. Do not be anxious about anything. Thanks, Paul. <laughs> Whew, wow. <laughs> do not be anxious about anything. He's like, just don't do it. Have you ever been anxious? Yeah. <laughs> well, don't do it. Paul says, just don't do it. Just don't be anxious. Don't be anxious, but he doesn't leave you there. He says what to do instead. Instead, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, which is making requests, right? He says, and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer, by supplication, and with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then there's something that comes out of that. And I don't know about you, but I've needed this so badly in the last two years, my whole life. But like I said, I really came to understand what real anxiety, at least for me, was like in the last two years. He says, if you do these things, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts in your minds in Christ Jesus. I don't think there was any mistake in the way Paul wrote that. Because I don't know about you, but uh, when I'm anxious, I need my heart guarded. Remember we talked last week about kind of having those, those feelings inside. And, and really, we talk about feelings in the heart. It was more a gut feeling was kind of how the, the, the Middle Eastern culture understood. Feelings were like in your gut. And, and I don't know about you, but that is where my anxiety was in the last two years. It was in my gut. And there were days that I just felt sick. And Paul 
understands that. And Paul knows that. And he says there's protection, there's peace. It's beyond your understanding. It's something you can't manufacture on your own, and it's only available through Christ as the Christ follower asks for it. And it guards your heart, your feelings, your gut. And it also guards your mind because I don't know about you, but anxiety also plays with your head, doesn't it? Yeah, you lay in bed at night. Um, my stomach doesn't usually bother me at night. It, it, anxiety, stomach is like daytime. That's like daytime stuff for me. Nighttime is like the mind. You lay down, you're, you're so tired. You might have even fallen asleep on the couch. But you go upstairs and you get in bed and all of a sudden what happens? Ooh, you can't stop the mind from racing. Paul knows this. Paul's experience. Obviously, Paul had some anxiety. We've read about um, some of his anxious moments, shipwrecked and, and cold and, 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 and without a place to stay and, 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 and hungry and, and imprisoned and beaten and stoned. And he goes on and on. Uh, undoubtedly, Paul had anxious moments. I was thinking today, he had that thorn that we don't know what it is. And he asked the Lord three times, take away this thing. We don't know what it is. Something that... that aggressively maybe tempted him some kind of proclivity to sin we don't really know what it was but he had something in the and he asked the lord take this away take this away take this away and and for one reason or another the lord didn't take it away paul said he did that so that god could be made great in me but paul probably still had some anxiety about that and we probably all have something we're anxious about a proclivity to sin a habit uh something that 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 weighs us down something that we're we're, we're we find difficult to let go of and Paul says that we can bring those things to the Father when they make us anxious. <laughs> but he says, do it by don't being anxious. <laughs> by, by don't be anxious. I, that's tough. I mean, he, he says, bring it to the Lord with prayer, with thanksgiving, um, with supplication. Leave it with the Father he will guard our hearts, he will guard our minds, he'll give us peace that passes all understanding. But the first step when you go back to the beginning of that sentence is, is just flat out, don't be anxious. And so I think what Paul's saying is that at some point in this process, we have some responsibility in this. The, the Christian life is not all about, um, in fact, it's not at all about, but, but, uh, but often we can trick ourselves into thinking we become Christ followers, we sit back, God takes care of everything. There's a lot of actions, there's a lot of activity, there's a lot of commands, there's a lot of do's in Scripture. And this is one of those do's. He says, do this thing, don't be anxious. We have to take Paul and, and this word for what it says and do our part in bringing those things before the Father over and over and over again, when you wake up in the morning and you're anxious already because of the day, something you have to do, pray, bring it to the Father. When you go to bed at night and you lie down and the, the world is just running like a movie and your problems and your anxieties and everything is running and you just, you just think about it and you can't sleep, bring it to the Father. Don't be anxious by praying by being thankful, and that's not, I don't know about you, that's not my first, that's not my first inclination. When I'm anxious, I'm not, that's not my first inclination. Thank you, God. <laughs> I'm like, this really stinks. 
But he didn't want us to say, this really stinks. He wants us to say, thank you. It's a whole different way of thinking. Anxiety is a, a feeling of worry, nervousness, unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Wow, that was my last two years in a nutshell. I'm going to read Matthew 6. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna wrap it up here, but I want to read a little on Matthew 6. 25 through 34, it says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious. Listen, anxious is mentioned six times in this chapter. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Again, there's the command. What you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food, the body not more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? Actually, I think um, anxiety can probably reduce versus add hours to our lives. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear for the Gentiles? That's the people who aren't following Christ. Those outside of Christ, they seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God. Instead of being anxious, seek the Father. Seek his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Don't worry about tomorrow. Lydia always says to me, don't borrow trouble. Anybody ever grown up, you had a family member, a grandma, or somebody? Don't borrow trouble. That's what anxiety is. That's what worry is. That's what thinking about tomorrow and obsessing about the next thing. It's borrowing trouble. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. And I think that is the key. And I think maybe that's why we have the problems that we do and the anxiety that we do. Because we are not trusting in the Lord with our whole heart. We're holding a little something back. We're not leaning on God's understanding, but we're leaning on our own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In every way and in everything and in every moment. And it promises that he will make straight our paths. So here's the therefores from this passage. Because of what we read, chapters 1 through 3, Paul says, Therefore, stand firm in the Lord. Therefore, strive to agree with unity and having unity with one another. Therefore, rejoice in the Lord. Therefore, be reasonable and show sound judgment. Therefore, do not be anxious. Closing in Psalm 34, 4 through 6, the psalmist, the writer says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Not some of my fears, not even most of my fears. He delivered me from all my fears. 
Those who look to him are radiant. Are you radiant today? Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we have troubles. We have stuff. We have anxiety. We have worries. We have things, honestly, sometimes that we have convinced ourselves are too big for you. Or maybe that you don't care. But Lord, you have said, if we seek you, we will find you. If we trust in you with our whole heart, you will listen to us. If we bring you all our anxieties in confession, in prayer, in making our requests with thanksgiving, that you will protect us, heart and mind, and give us peace that passes all understanding. Lord, the scripture we read a moment ago says, those who look to you are radiant and our faces would never be ashamed. And Lord, we look to you today with our anxieties and our worries and our troubles and our, our, our issues and our unreasonableness and our lack of agreement and our disunity. And sometimes I think you just look at us and shake your head and it's like, again? But that's one of the beautiful things about Scripture that it teaches us that you will hear us again and again. And when we fail, we can come to you again and ask for forgiveness and you forgive us. Lord, we love you. Uh, maybe we haven't trusted you completely in every way with our anxieties and with all of the things that we talked about today, unreasonableness and disagreement and disunity. But Lord, today we bring these things to you and we place them in front of you and we ask you to forgive us for just going with the flow, staying in the status quo, avoiding that person, avoiding that conversation, reveling in our anxiety sleepless nights and upset stomach days. Lord, we bring all these to you and before you, and we ask, Lord, that you forgive us for our unfaithfulness. Forgive us for our lack of trusting in you. And Lord, we are going to put these things in front of you today, Lord, saying we trust you. Paul was convinced, and he said it over and over and over again, that you were a God who could do these things and in you we could rejoice. And so, Lord, we rejoice at knowing your word is true and that you are faithful and that your son, Jesus Christ, is available to save us from our sin. And in fact, for many of us have saved us. Lord, for those today that might be seeking you and looking to you and haven't yet accepted you as Lord and Savior, your invitation is always open to simply come and say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. I believe Jesus Christ died, went to the grave, took my sin 
and rose again victorious over it. And because of that sin, now I can call on you to be saved in the power of Christ, having my sin forgiven by the sacrifice that Christ uh, paid for me. Lord, I pray that people will make that decision today, that they will make that request. They will pray and they will ask that you will save them. Lord, forgive us again where we failed you. Pick up our chins. I love that scripture we did a couple months ago. Lift your heads up, O ye gates. Look to the Father in heaven. Those who look to him are radiant. Lord, make our faces radiant in you today. And their faces will never be ashamed. Lord, we may live lives without shame that we might live for you. Lord, we love you and we honor you and it's in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the word and in the Holy Spirit, Lord, that we pray today in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So I didn't, uh, I didn't, I left uh, the end of the service open to be determined. So 